Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Ethan, James, and Jennifer Crumley. 15-year-old Ethan Crumley lived with his 45-year-old father, James, and his 43-year-old mother, Jennifer, in Oxford Township, Michigan, which is about 45 miles north of Detroit. Ethan attended Oxford High School. His father had most recently worked as a technology salesperson, and his mother most recently worked as a marketing director. She had worked as a real estate agent at one point during her career. In the past, James and Jennifer had various run-ins with the law. In 2003, Jennifer was charged with a misdemeanor for writing bad checks, but the case was dismissed. In 2004, she was accused of the same offense and would eventually be fined $240. In 2005, both James and Jennifer were charged with DUI. They were each fined $652. On another occasion, James was fined $200, for driving with a suspended license and having an improper tag. James also had some legal problems related to child support payments to his ex-wife. This takes us to the timeline of the homicides. We move to November 26, 2021. James Crumley purchases a Sig Sauer SP2022. This is a 9mm semi-automatic pistol. Social media posts make it clear that the gun was for Ethan's personal use, like it was purchased for him. Jennifer and Ethan went to a shooting range on November 27. Jennifer posted a message on social media which read, quote, Mom and Son Day testing out his new Christmas present, unquote. On November 29, Ethan was in class at Oxford High School when a teacher saw him using his phone to search for ammunition. School officials met with Ethan to discuss this behavior and left a voicemail for Jennifer. She did not respond to the school, but she did send a text to Ethan. She wrote, quote, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught, unquote. On the next day, November 30, Ethan was back in school when a teacher discovered a drawing on his desk that was disturbing. 
The drawing featured a semi-automatic pistol, a person, and a bullet. The pistol was pointing at the words, The thoughts won't stop, help me. The bullet had the words, Blood everywhere, written above it. Between the image of the pistol and the bullet, Ethan had drawn a person with a laughing emoji right below them. The person appeared to be bleeding from two gunshot wounds. Toward the bottom of the drawing, Ethan wrote two sentences, My life is useless, and the world is dead. The teacher captured an image of the drawing and reported Ethan to school officials. They called James and Jennifer, who arrived at the school and examined the drawing. By this point, Ethan had tried to disguise the contents of the drawing by writing over it. Ethan tried to explain away the drawing by saying it was for a video game he was designing. Apparently, he wanted a career in video game design. School officials told James and Jennifer that Ethan would have to receive mental health counseling within 48 hours, or they would call Child Protective Services. The officials reported that Ethan's parents resisted the idea of Ethan leaving school at that time. So, the officials returned Ethan to class. According to the police, this is what happened after Ethan went back to class. At this point, these are only allegations. There have been no convictions in this case, just charges. Ethan entered a bathroom carrying a backpack. About a minute later, he exited the bathroom with a semi-automatic pistol. The weapon was later identified as the same gun that James had purchased four days earlier. At about 12.50 p.m., Ethan pointed the weapon at students and started firing as he walked down a hallway. On a few occasions, he pointed it into classrooms and fired. An announcement was made over the intercom alerting students and teachers about an active shooter. They barricaded themselves into various rooms. After allegedly firing at least 30 rounds and striking several people over the course of five minutes, Ethan was arrested by a school resource officer and another police officer who responded to the scene. Three students were killed at the scene. Another student died the next day. At least seven people were injured. Prosecutors would later say that Jennifer texted Ethan at 1.22 p.m., writing, quote, Ethan, don't do it, unquote. At 1.37 p.m., James called 911 and reported that his Sig Sauer SP-2022 was missing and that Ethan may be the gunman at Oxford High School. The police executed a search warrant at Ethan's residence. They seized a number of items, including a journal and a cell phone. The journal contained information indicating Ethan's desire to shoot up the school. The cell phone contained two videos recorded the night before the shooting, in which Ethan talked about conducting the shooting the next day. On December 1, Ethan was charged as an adult with one count of terrorism, four counts of first-degree murder, seven counts of assault with intent to murder, and 12 counts of possession of a firearm. On December 3, James and Jennifer Crumley were charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. The police were initially unable to find the couple. Their attorney said that James and Jennifer fled for their own safety, but would return voluntarily to be arraigned at 4 p.m. The couple turned off their cell phones, withdrew $4,000 from an ATM, and missed the arraignment. The police received a tip and located their vehicle in Detroit. The police arrested the couple at about 1.30 a.m. on December 4, after they were found hiding in a nearby warehouse. The police said the couple was unarmed, 
very distressed and had help getting into the building, which opens up the possibility that other people could be charged. Now moving to my analysis. There's not a great deal of information available about Ethan at this point, but there are a few reports. He was described as being quiet, wearing all black, and being really into hunting. He enjoyed playing Minecraft and Call of Duty, two video games. Ethan wanted to be an archaeologist. He may have been bullied in school, but the police have not been able to confirm that. The prosecutors believe that the shooting was premeditated. This is consistent with a good deal of the evidence, including the videos that Ethan recorded and the drawing that he made in school. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. I found it interesting that Ethan wrote about thoughts that won't stop and asked for help. It's possible that Ethan has mental health problems. The school officials said that no discipline was warranted at the time of the meetings with Ethan and his parents. And as I mentioned, they sent him back to class and were giving him 48 hours to receive mental health counseling. The school officials may have been following some type of policy, I'm not sure, but regardless of why they failed to act, their behavior makes no sense. It would appear as though Ethan was desperately trying to communicate. School officials and his parents failed to properly respond to the danger component of his messages and the help-seeking component of the messages. It's been reported that the counselors at the school used their clinical experience to determine that it was safe for Ethan to go back to class. Yet at the same time, they believed that he should receive mental health counseling within 48 hours. The school counselors made a few mistakes here. First, based on the content of the drawing, the time for mental health counseling was immediately, not 48 hours later. There was nothing about that drawing that indicated they had some type of magic 48 hours of safety. Second, part of the counselor's determination was made based on the fact that Ethan was calm. Just because somebody is calm doesn't mean they're not dangerous. Third, they failed to be definitive in their actions. They wanted Ethan's parents to take Ethan home, but when they refused, they were like, okay, let's go with the backup plan and send him back to class. It doesn't seem as though these school counselors were committed to their decision, which makes one wonder if they really knew what they were doing. If they can't make a firm decision, why are they making decisions at all? Fourth, nobody thought to search Ethan's backpack for a weapon. Fifth, 
Even if they insisted on sending Ethan back to class, why didn't they have the school resource officer watch Ethan? It was almost like they just sent him back to class and figured everything would be okay. They didn't have any plan going forward to try to keep everyone safe. Now moving over to James and Jennifer Crumley. They are facing four involuntary manslaughter charges. Each charge carries a maximum sentence of 15 years. The primary justification for the charges is that the couple gave Ethan access to the weapon and ignored warning signs. Ethan was with James when James purchased the pistol, and it would appear that Ethan had access to that weapon or somehow gained access to it. The prosecutor said that the gun was left unlocked, but the attorney for Ethan's parents said that statement is not true. Jennifer's text message about learning not to get caught is not going to help her case. Her later message saying don't do it is also curious. It was too little, too late. It would appear that James realized the pistol was missing after the attack was already over and made the connection that Ethan could be the shooter. As far as ignoring warning signs, James and Jennifer wanted Ethan to remain in school even after seeing the images he had drawn. They didn't tell anybody about the gun, and they never searched his backpack. It doesn't help their case, so they tried to avoid capture after being charged. They may try to argue that they were not running, but how are they going to explain their behavior? Are they going to say that they were just bringing $4,000 in cash to their friends who lived in a warehouse? When we didn't see our friend there, we thought that we would just hide there for a while. It seems fairly clear they were trying to avoid being arrested. Moving back to the charges, could James and Jennifer be found guilty of these charges? Some people believe the charges are a stretch. Others believe that these type of charges were long overdue in cases like this. How the gun was stored is going to be a major issue in this case. The state says that the gun was in an unlocked drawer. Their defense attorney says differently. If it was locked, how did Ethan get it? Did he have a key or the combination to the lock? Did he have to use some type of tool to break the lock? All these questions need to be answered before the level of culpability for the parents can be calculated. Even if the gun was not stored in some type of locking container, or if it didn't have a trigger lock, that doesn't mean that a conviction is going to be easy to get. There is no federal law saying that guns have to be locked away from children, and there is no law in Michigan that states that either. There is, however, a law in Michigan that says a parent can be criminally liable if they have a child who violates a firearm-related law in school or in a school vehicle if the parent knew the child would commit the violation or acted to further the violation. The question becomes, is the failure to act on warning signs in this case enough to meet that standard along with the level of access that Ethan had to the weapon? If failing to see the warning signs is a component of a crime, then Ethan's parents could argue that the school also failed to act because school officials said no discipline was warranted for Ethan when he was caught with that drawing and they sent him back to class. The truth is that everybody failed to respond appropriately to the warning signs. There was another recent case in Michigan involving a nine-year-old who gained access to an unsecured pistol and used the weapon on himself. The father was convicted of involuntary manslaughter. So in Michigan, there is a precedent where the prosecution was successful with this type of case. To sum up my thoughts on this point, 
I think it will be challenging to get a conviction for involuntary manslaughter if the gun was locked up, unless there are even more warning signs that have not yet been made public. If the firearm was left unlocked, I think Ethan's parents are in some trouble. I think it's all going to come down to something as simple as locking up a firearm, a common sense safety measure that should always be utilized, whether somebody has a child in the house or not. What lessons can we learn in this case? I have two here. Number one, a key part of this case appears to be how mental health warning signs can be missed. When people have mental health symptoms, they don't always ask for help in a normal way. Rather, the request is distorted, just like mood, behavior, and thinking can be distorted by mental health conditions. School officials, parents, and all concerned parties need to contact mental health professionals right away when there is uncertainty about a child's behavior. If nothing was wrong, then no harm was done. But if there's a problem, this will allow the counselor to intervene early. Number two, mental health services for students are most effective when the parents cooperate. Parents who dismiss potential mental health symptoms are not doing their children any favors, and they may be endangering the public. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.